Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it's hard to believe we've been having weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals has links to purchase the source material behind our adapted film discussions. Your purchases there help support the show at no extra cost. For the entirety of Season 11, we featured films directed by women. The only exceptions were some of our member bonus episodes. We talked about the lure for our horror debuts series, which is a very loose adaptation of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Definitely miles from the Disney versions. <laughs> for our 10-year anniversary series, we covered We Need to Talk About Kevin, taken from the Lionel Shriver novel. Man, that was brilliant. And horrifying. Yeah. The Journalist series included Merrily We Go to Hell and The Weight of Water, adapted from Anita Shreve's bestseller. We filled some gaps in previous series with member bonus episodes on adaptations like Malcolm X, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, Cactus Flower, Wild at Heart, Life Force, and The Blues Brothers. Our John Hurd series looked at a trio of adaptations, Chilly Scenes of Winter from the novel by Ann Beatty, Awakenings based on Oliver Sacks' nonfiction book, and Rambling Rose adapted from the Calder Willingham novel. Two films in our coming-of-age debut series were adapted from books, The Virgin Suicides from Jeffrey Eugenides and The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Phoebe Gluckner's graphic novel. We had Queen of Cotway for our sports series based on Tim Crothers' nonfiction book. And Clueless kicked off our 90s comedy series loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma. It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today.
I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Ratcatcher is over. Goodbye, Snowball. Ratcatcher, Andy. Uh, I forget. Had you seen this movie? I hadn't. No. My first uh, Lynn Ramsey film was when we talked about, we need to talk about Kevin. Yeah. And uh, subsequently, before this, I caught up with Morvan Collar. And so now this is my third. Oh, uh, I haven't seen that, but I I caught up with You Were Never Really Here. Uh, Ah, so this is definitely also my third. And all I can tell you is. Um, man, does Lim Ramsey like to do mother relationships? I mean, mothers and kids. Sad. Okay. Uh, we are doing this as part of our coming of age series. Yes, we are. The 1970s Glasgow, uh, was rough sailing. If you, if you ask me, I don't know that either of us would have, would have tread well in, uh, in this particular community. You? Not as an adult, but as a kid, <laughs> like the thing with kids is like, I feel like they just adapt and yeah. I probably, you probably don't even notice a lot of the the craziness that you have to live through, you know? I guess. I just feel like, wow, uh, they, I, I might've been a too sensitive a kid for a place like this because there is a <laughs> lot of just like, it's just, everybody's so comfortable spitting on each other. So much spit. <laughs> this movie everybody's spitting out the windows. Everybody's spitting. Oh, f you, spit. <laughs> just, just. Got, I mean, I could have done like I could have trucked with the profanity. I can do that, uh, and I could, I could, I could do that at a very early age. But it's the spitting. I think that would have been particularly demeaning. Too much. Oh spitting. well, we'll talk about the rest in in a in a moment. Anyway, very excited that we have added this movie to our catalog. Yeah, and uh, you know. I don't know. The more I watch Lynn Ramsey's films, the more I want to watch more of her films. And I only have one more to watch. So I'm a little uh, disappointed. I need her to get on it and start making some more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't she know the responsibility she carries as a filmmaker <laughs> right. to your catalog? Come on, get with it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I will say one thing that I um, did struggle with in this film and uh, Morvan Collar uh to a certain extent as well is the accents are so thick and like i had to watch this with subtitles because yeah. like and what's funny is the subtitles sometimes would say it in the way that they say it and i can't remember the exact words but i'm like well that's not even an english word like <laughs> what are they translating into here uh, yeah it was very right. funny um but yeah it's definitely a thick accent uh, all through this film so yeah. Beautiful though. It's a it I, I love listening to to oh, I, yeah. I love yeah. listening to it. It's just sort of tonally fascinating. Keeps me engaged. It's it's an accent like if I was watching this in the theater, like I would adapt quickly. But when you're watching it at home, it's just yeah. you know, it's a little trickier because the sounds and everything else in your house and it just kind of distracts and so it's just easier for me to yeah. throw the subtitles on sometimes right. and stuff like this. So yeah. yeah. Well, Ratcatcher, when it was released, was not rated here in the States, but likely would have uh, 
received, I don't know, PG-13 at least, if not a little more. There's definitely some, you know, kids bathing in bathtubs non-sexually together. Uh, but then other, you know, sexual sorts of things that happen. It's, you know, there's, it's a uh, kids coming of age sort of movie. Sexual sorts of things that happen. That should be in the MPAA guidelines, that language specifically. Well, I was going to apply it to IMDb because that is the sort of language <laughs> that often you find here. <laughs> Want to watch this movie and help us out well? If you see an Apple or an Amazon link to the movie in our show notes, just click on it. It will take you right to their site and you can rent or buy the movie. When you do this, we get a little piece in return. And you know what? There are some movies that don't appear, but if it's if it's a purchasable movie and you like buying physical media, you can do that too. That still helps us out. So either way, you get to watch the movie. We get a little piece of the action. So do the filmmakers. Amazon gets probably a big chunk. And, uh, you know, everybody's happy. <laughs> Amazon gets a big chunk of our lives, Andy. Amazon, our, yeah, right out of our lives. Uh, but if you want to not give uh, away money to Amazon and and give it instead to another company and us, you can do that over in our merch store at truestory.fm slash merch. That's our Tee Public store, and you can get shirts, stickers, mugs, masks, pillows, and more with anything we're coming up with. And this week for Ratcatcher, what's on my list of things to do is to make a shirt with a balloon holding a rat, and maybe there will be a moon under it. Those three images need to be on a shirt and a mug for me. So it could also be for you. TrueStory.fm slash TNR merch. Was it a rat or a mouse? That I think it was a mouse, the but the title is rat. Yeah. So, you know. I know, but I, I, I was like, I think that he had a pet rat in a world full of rats. A pet mouse in a world full of rats. And he Maybe sent his mouse it. to the moon. Yeah. Yeah. Goodbye, Snowball. Goodbye, Snowball. Well, we would love to feature some audio reviews from you, our dear and sweet listeners. Just send us your audio file to reviews at truestory.fm. You can record it right on your phone in your audio recording tool, whichever type of phone you have. Just email it to us at reviews at truestory.fm. Right when you watch the movie, it just might get featured on the show. So uh, send it our way and uh, be a part of the action. <laughs> And Is that what they uh, say? Not sure. Yeah, it does. It's exactly what they say. I'm sure of it. Uh, yeah, if you're wondering what movies we're going to be talking about so you can prepare your voice memo review, uh, just head over to um, letterboxd.com slash the next reel. That's our HQ page over at Letterboxd. It's the best social uh, network for movie lovers, for sure. And while you're there, if you fall in love with it, like we have, you can sign up for a pro or patron membership, remove the ads, and get a dis use the discount code next reel or you can just visit the nextreel.com slash letterbox and the discount code will already be applied and you can get your 20 percent off your pro or patron upgrade this works for renewals as well just like becoming a member over at letterbox you can also become a member of our show uh, right on our website uh, with through memberful you can join and you get all sorts of wonderful bonus episodes sometimes you'll get some stickers that show up in the mailbox for you all sorts of stuff uh you know we have 
tons of bonus episodes, including our monthly member bonus episodes. They uh, they fill in a gap from a previous series that we've covered somewhere across the 11 plus years that we've been recording this show. And, um, you know, we do one of those once a month. This month, uh, for March 2022, we're doing Wild at Heart, which fills in a gap from our Couples on the Run series. Last month, we did uh, Cactus Flower, which was from our Ingrid Bergman series. So it's a fun way to get extra episodes. We also do a flick chart re-ranking episode uh, once a month where we shake up our flick chart tree and uh, we do a a retake episode, which is at the end of each series where we kind of do a, a, as I like to say, a macroscopic view of the entire series and just kind of chat about all those uh, bits and pieces and the connective tissue between. Mm, that was a lot of science you just dropped on me right there, Andy. I know, connective head, tissue, macroscopic. Macroscopic connective tissue. Head over to truestory.fm slash TNR membership to learn more about our membership tiers and that macroscopic connective tissue. The most it'll cost you is $5 a month or $55 a year. There's a couple of things that we know, like we're both seasoned podcasters. And we're both geeks. Hey, we're both dads of amazing daughters. We're both Gen X. But there is some things we don't know. Like what? Well, like what each episode of our new show is going to be about. How can we not know that? We're making the show. Yeah, but here's the thing. You're going to bring five things to talk about, and so am I. But we won't know what the other host is bringing. So it could be anything. Uh, a new story about a Marvel show. Uh, a cool toy that's coming out. A uh, play we just saw even a weird thing from a drawer and it'll be a surprise for us and for our audience and what are we calling this show oh that's the part we do know it's called 10 random things you know throwing in this random element the show could go off the rails really fast oh oh, yes i i hope it does and we're also going to do it live wait what yeah that's right 10 random things will be streamed live on wednesdays at 5 p.m arizona time Okay, rat catcher, here we are. We're in it. 1970s, Catching Glasgow, some rats. so much trash, Andy. So much trash coming out the windows and my face, so much. I, I'd like you to talk a little bit about that because you did some digging into kind of the history of what was going on in 1973, Glasgow. What did you, uh, well, what did you dig it, up through all this rubbish what's interesting is that this the i i found the a new york times there's a lot of this this was a big deal uh trademark big deal uh and uh it was a, a massive strike the bin worker strike it actually happened i don't understand why the movie the movie set in 73 right yes 1973 the strike was in 75 so I don't know why that we're off a couple of years. It seems like a very strange thing. But the actual uh, or, or if there were multiple strikes, the 70s were bad in in Scotland, just in, in general. There was some rough stuff. It, it, so uh, but this specifically related to this movie, they're talking about the troops that went into uh, to Glasgow to to clean up 70,000 tons of rotting garbage that had piled house high over just 10 weeks, a 10-week strike by drivers of garbage trucks. And so these soldiers went in, 500 soldiers of the Royal Highland Fusiliers, uh, who are usually on guard at Edinburgh Castle, uh, sent in to prevent an outbreak of disease 
after last-minute attempts to get workers back on the job failed. The drivers were on a wildcat strike for an increase of up to $17 over their basic weekly wage of $77. $77. They wanted $17 more than that. And so these soldiers went in, these 500 soldiers went in and just started stepping on rats and shoveling rats and and crushing them under their boot heels and um, it, to try and clean up the place. Uh, that's a lot of trash. And that provides the setting for Rat Catcher. We're, we're in it. They don't really talk about it. It really is just part of the texture of the film. Yeah, right, right. Well, the other element that I think uh ties into this well is this uh these places that they have um people set up to move to like they're they're actively rehousing people yeah active it's it's a slow it's it's like you know sloth Mm -hmm. (laughs) activity Mm -hmm. it's very slow as far as this rehousing seems to be going but they've been building kind of these new housing estates out in the outskirts of the city and I think that was a, kind of a, an important element of the story because we have this time where James takes a bus out to the end of the line to and 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 kind of hangs out in these half built houses and is looking around and it almost creates like this uh, you know this future of uh, you know safe haven that he has in his mind now as a place where you know he might be able to escape to and and you know from that moment on and then of course we have that um at the end where you know we potentially see them moving or do we and it, it kind of creates an idea of that safe place and i thought that was another important element in this because you know here they are just living in squalor really but there's at least that vision that he has of what could be which i thought was um valuable well, and you, you have a good point about the resilience of kids. And, and, and I think this is a, the double-edged sword of this, of this movie, and particularly of William Eady's performance as James, our, our protagonist, that he is such an innocent performer, and the movie moves almost effortlessly between fantasy and, and um, our trash-laden reality, uh, that sometimes I'm not sure uh, what is fantasy? And to your point at the end, like he's already in the middle of the movie had this sort of central moment where he's gone out on the bus to the end of the line and seen this house at the edge of the wheat field and had his uh, <laughs> roll, roll in the hay, I guess, uh, where he's running through the field and rolling <laughs> around and all of that. And uh, that, you know, in as much as that felt like reality, we're also in a space where the movie changes to black and white and does take a mouse to the moon by balloon to find other mice, all the mice that have been sent to the moon. And so the spectrum of what is fantasy and what isn't is, I think, pretty broad. That leads to the end of the film where, as you say, are they moving into this house by the field? The entire family is marching across the field. This is not how you move a house. Clearly, <laughs> surely there are roads that take you to the house. I mean, he got there by bus, uh, James. So what is it that, you know, that that marks his experience with fantasy and longing to be sort of free? Sometimes his performance is so subtle and so even that I didn't get a picture of what he really wanted. Was he just being resilient? Was he 
you know, was he um, or, or was he really, you know, um, expecting to to be free and longing for this this new life ahead of him? I don't know that Ramsey was wanting to give us any easy answers. And yeah. I think that's what's interesting about it is that, I mean, we see that kind of vision of the family marching to this new house at the end after he's kind of had this place. I mean, we have the military cleaning stuff up, but he's just, I don't know. It's like, is the, is life ever going to change for him? Mm-hmm. He jumps into the canal and he's underwater. And then we cut to the family marching and stuff and so is Mm -hmm. it like in his head did he just drown himself uh like what happened here i mean the canal and drownings weigh heavily on this film and on him because of the you know of ryan who drowns kind of uh with james's uh, you know from james's action um early in the film and then kenny almost drowns but uh but um james's father saves him Mm -hmm. and at this point in the film is, you know, is that his way out? Like the canal becomes an escape. I don't know. Or is he, is it just kind of just, you know, a vision and a dream and he's fine, but he'll never get out of this. I, I don't know. I don't know if um, Ramsey wanted us to know is or just kind of decide on our own what we want to have happened with this. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point, because so much of the kind of thematic use of water, particularly, as you say, we have a spectrum of water here, too. I mean, the the drowning his his buddy drowns very early in the film, like it's the first major thing that happens. And so we are saddled with the death of a child in minutes of the movie opening. And now I'm spending a lot of my time in the first half of the film kind of trying to assess the weight of guilt on this kiddo and it, because you know he's carrying some of that he he has a a knowing look he turns over his shoulder and looks back at at the water and is looking i guess for his buddy and then ends up running away right or runs away and then looks back um and and so there is there is some distance between him and then his his buddy is is you know brought up dead it's it's horrible but the setup following that, because the setup of his life comes after the the major event is such that is, you know, are we supposed to ask ourselves the question of what is what is freedom from this place? Like his buddy, did did his buddy get out because he died? Did his buddy, you know, find some sort of freedom from this like this life that he was living? Is that part of the question? Um, is is he I think when you bring up him jumping into the canal like that, that becomes an open question for me. Like maybe it's it is, um, you know, part of of his journey to at least question, you know, what is the value of his life, uh, you know, in this place? Is there ever a way out? And when, uh, you know, when you look at Lynn Ramsey's other stuff, like I, I just I, I have to bring up you were never really here because that is another major theme um, of uh, in in this movie, specifically the value of life and guilt and cleansing through water. Like it is um, it, it's another important, you know, bit. This is not something that she takes too lightly, I guess I'm saying. Guilt is a big factor. I mean, Morven Collar, her second film, I mean, there's a big part of that film. I mean, it's about a woman who comes over to her boyfriend's place for Christmas only to find that he had committed suicide mm-hmm. and is his body is lying on the floor there. And, um, and, and really, it's like how she ends up dealing with her grief of 
uh, you know, of that. And, and, you know, I mean, she makes some questionable decisions. You know, he had written a novel that he was hoping she would publish after um, afterward for for him. And and uh, instead, she, you know, changes the name on it and releases it as her own book. And so she makes some questionable decisions. But still, it's in a in a in interesting way. It's it is her dealing with grief in and you know I mean it's trying to figure figure it out as she's going along, and I think that's really what we have James doing here is is like you know he's a kid you know he doesn't know he's he's just trying to deal with this and and you have you know typical bullies in the neighborhood who who do stuff and you've got this this awkward girl who kind of uh, he they end up befriending each other James and, and Margaret. As um, as she's being bullied by the by the the uh, the the kids, they throw her glasses in the canal. But she also is uh, has gone through some difficult things, and you know perhaps there is some uh, sexual abuse that she's experienced, uh, certainly by the by these bullies, and you know the way that she and James connect with each other. You know, you're like, gosh, you know, it's it's a little uncomfortable. It's a little awkward how they're dealing with these things. But they're kids and they're just trying to figure it out. And that's, you know, they didn't have the guidance. And that's what I found interesting in in watching the, the kids in this film and how they were, you know, working with each other. Because, I mean, you know, I mean, we have James's parents, uh, but his dad seems to be drunk most of the time, not, uh, not that effective of a uh, father. And uh, his mom just you know, often seems beleaguered. And so mm-hmm. it's, it, there's, a, I don't know, it's, it's a very interesting coming of age as these kids are really kind of, you know, figuring things out on their own. I think it is interesting. I, I, it's a, it, it gives you a little bit of that, like that Lord of the Flies experiment, you know, that what, what happens when these kids are left to their own devices and they form cliques and they bully each other and they don't know how to experiment, experiment with the, the sort of hormonal, uh, you know, changes that are going on. And the movie does like you, we, you mentioned the, the, uh, non-sexual stuff going on, naked children, non-sexual stuff going on. Well, that, that whole sequence where these two kids are bathing with each other, they're literally just bl- bathing and playing in the bathtub. And she is, you know, quite a bit older than he is, I would say, you know, given that they're kids. Um, but she it, it really demonstrates the level of innocence that is going on here because, you know, it doesn't matter that she's an older kid. She's still just as inexperienced in life and growth and relationships as the youngest of the young kids. Like they just are all sort of maturing at their own weird pace. And, you know, the bullies are really showcasing that they, you know, they're trying to mature faster than than, uh, you know, than they would normally do. So uh, they're trying to be all tough guy. And yet, you know, here they are in the James and and uh, Margaret trying to figure out how just not to be kids. And it's hard to to break free of that. They end up lapsing back into the sort of awkward playfulness of being actual children. And uh, uh, so I, I think the movie really plays with that in a in, in an interesting way. And I, I, I like you brought up the the father, right? Uh, Tommy Flanagan, uh, actor who plays the Da. And he is, man, for, first of all, he's just, he's really great. And he's been in a ton of, of stuff. I, I think his, to me, his avatar in this movie is just to demonstrate that 
this is this is who some of these kids grow up to be, right? Like this is this is the guy that they'll become. And to when the the whole sequence when mom is dancing with the kids, talking about how you know you and you and your or me and your dad were the best jive jive. jive what was the word they used uh, when they were dancing? We were the best jivers. You can't jive. Does that ring any bells? Remember. It was something like that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. she's trying to dance with them, and and you know, hearkening back to this this time of innocence that I think is really really special. But then immediately after, he comes in and and hits her. Uh, like they have not outgrown the lack of education that they that they got on just sort of human socialization. Yeah, it's another interesting relationship, and and we saw this in. Uh, Salam Bombay also, you know, where these adults kind of you, you can see how these kids are going to grow into these adults in this system that doesn't allow them to get out of what they're in. Mm -hmm. And to a certain extent, they just are, they they become grown up grown ups, but really they're still kind of these grown up kids who who don't really they've never really kind of adapted to society at large. It's just still this very much contained bubble that they're in and and i mean the lucky few i guess you could say you know do get um uh rehoused in some of these other places but again it seems few and far between and it seems like this this pipe dream for a lot of people that one day you know will get rehoused but it it it'll be years uh, dot 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 if ever yeah you know which the government doesn't say but they just say it could take it could take a few years yeah. And I think that's where we start and where we end with the film. It's a few years. Right, right. Well, and I think that um, that is a that's a really interesting thing, because when you go to the award ceremony after uh, Da saves Kenny and is, is offered the award, you can sort of see this town hall and there are empty chairs in it. It looks like, hey, this is maybe capacity. But not everybody is there anymore. Like we're we're watching the community dwindle down to sort of the last the last few. Um, so I, I don't I don't exactly know where we are in that sort of years process of transferring away from uh, and rehousing into whatever this new Valhalla is. But you can you really get a sense that we're in the middle of it. And she doesn't do much to hammer that home, but you can still feel it. I, I think she doesn't really need to. I, I do want to ask you, though, what your sense is of the the animals. I mean, not just the title rat catcher, but Kenny's role and as as, you know, the guy who is uh, catching and keeping the and talking about the the animals like everybody seems to have a, a sense for the animals and the rats. Sometimes it's killing the rats. Sometimes it's keeping the mice and calling them rats. Do you know what I do? You know what I mean? It definitely feels like they may as well all be rats to a certain extent. You know, they're just living amongst all of this. And yeah, the kids go around and jump on the trash bags or, or hit them with bats because they know the rats are in there and maybe they'll kill one, maybe they won't. And and yeah, like there's that point where uh, Kenny picks up a, a dead one and is just kind of swinging it around. And it does feel very much like they're just part of the, the everyday. And it's just, it's, I don't know, it became normal to just have these rats around to the point where the kids don't even think about them much other than you know killing them when they can and when they're when they're interested in doing it but you know oftentimes they're not doing it 
But it is, uh, I think, just another element that draws that childhood fascination of like, you know, these these things that are running around. Yeah, there's a there's a sequence in the background, you know, he's he's hitting at a rat and there's you see blurred out in the in the deep distance, you see a group of of older uh, guys walking along and he says, oh, somebody threw out a perfectly good dog and the dog is dead and it's it's just tossed on the pile. And that's the one experience of of animals. And then you have the other side, which is Kenny and his role of saving, saving the animals. And the the, the bit where he brings his mouse down, his birthday mouse, and, uh, you know, says, Oh, you're one of the gang. You're one of the gang. The boys say, you're one of the gang, Kenny. Let us see your mouse. And then they, they start tossing it around to, to make it fly. I, I, that was a sort of a spine tingling sequence of horror for me. Like, I just really, I don't know if it, I'm just, you know, a bit too empathetic for, for mice creatures, but man, that was hard to watch because he, that oldest boy who I wanted to dash against the brick wall kept saying, throw it against the wall, throw it against the wall, right? Step on it with your boot. Yeah. Um, that, that was a really hard scene and of, of just sort of social horror. But then Kenny takes the rat and does tie the the uh, balloon to its tail, the mouse, and send it on its way, and yeah. I couldn't. I, I honestly, I I just I'm I don't know. I don't know what is going on with Kenny that he did that. He's the kid who's been talking about how he's gonna, you know, have his little menagerie of of animals, and and, and he's gonna work for the uh, you know ASPC, yeah. whatever their version of the ASPCA is. Why did he, know, he send he the mouse times, yeah. to the moon? Well. I don't think Kenny was all there. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it came through, you know, a number of times that Kenny was a little off. And, uh, yeah, and I, well, I think, and there's also an element to him of that, that kid who wants to please the other kids, you know, and that, you know, combination, I think, becomes dangerous because then, then he's doing things like that that he thinks they're going to really like, even though it's even against kind of his own perhaps way of thinking. And so it's that was a very shocking moment when he uh, when he did that and off went the the poor little poor little mouse. Yeah, I I didn't care for it. I didn't care for it. I I kept trying to come back to what what is this saying? Like what is the what is it saying about the worldview of this of this film and and Ramsey's take on this time in Glasgow? And I I think you said it that this is a representation of a essentially a food chain, right? Of it's its own ecosystem. And uh even Kenny as he's not there, even in his fantasy uh is you know, he's looking at this place as something that is and his role uh, in kind of power these kids have their own kind of power over the creatures that are below them in the food chain and his this is his execution of that power even as you say he's not all there this is how he demonstrates his authority over nature because it's all they have uh because they have so little besides the trash and speaking of trash there is a sequence when the people get out of their car and their door hits the trash. Does it, it's early in the film? Did it seem like there's a body in that bag? Um, or is it just trash to you? I just thought of it as trash. I didn't. I didn't think Man, that. I just it's. Uh, of course, I guess I'm in a dark place. 
I thought, I think they put a body in that bag. <laughs> anyway, you were going to say? Well, you know, yeah, well, going back to kind of your your thoughts about Kenny and, and the animals and stuff, another element that I think's that I think is important to consider is that the film is called Ratcatcher, and you know there's an element of kind of I mean obviously they're you know they're the whole idea of a rat catcher is you know in this time you know you're trying to get rid of these rats and get rid of all this these the squalor and everything but I think there's an interesting element to Kenny Bait kind of being a rat catcher here he is he's caught or he has this animal and uh, and you know does what he does with it but also. If we look at these people as rats also living in the trash, there's an interesting element to kind of like just kind of that that fight for survival. And, you know, Ryan gets, you know, he drowns early on. And um and and later we find out that Kenny saw James with Ryan. And yeah, I mean, James has been dealing with this guilt of possibly being responsible for having drowned Ryan, even though I don't know if it's ever really made as if he actually intentionally, I mean, he didn't intentionally drown him, but he wasn't around. He took off and Ryan just, you know, got stuck. Who knows? But he ended up drowning. And and Kenny saw that. And there's an element to Kenny kind of being a rat catcher in that situation. Like he's he's caught him and, and he has James essentially, you know, not really in the act, but essentially he's got something over him now. And that's kind of an element that I think further pushes uh, James into this in this realm of kind of like this you know, concern about what am I going to do? And it's just it, I think that these people end up just kind of like so caught as animals in this situation and and here you know you've kind of got kenny as this rat catcher who yeah you know just it puts james into the situation and that i think builds to that end where it's like is james so grief-stricken now that he's he is going to drown himself like what's actually going on here by the time we get to the end of the film well i think that takes us to lynn ramsey right because uh, you know of the films that i've seen and I, i'm and the films it sounds like that you've seen <laughs> where our venn diagram overlaps these are themes that are are really important to her right this this whole assessment of children and how they deal or or young people will say and how they deal with guilt and death and grief and uh you know sadness and and uh, their place in in the world and they do it in such a way these films that they're they're incredibly sparse i would i would call this film sparse the fact that there is so little uh explicit guidance for our young you know james to really tell us what's going on man what is in your head what are you feeling he just we just get to experience his world and that I think in her hands as a director, I think accentuates the experience for me. This feels open-ended and yet intentional filmmaking to me. Uh, and and I found it enormously satisfying. What'd you get out of Lynn Ramsey as director here? Well, I mean, certainly watching uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin, uh, which, I mean, that was a stunning film for her to have crafted the way that she structured the film and and shot the film and everything. And yeah, I mean, I think we're we're seeing early signs of that in this film here it's it's not quite as as put together as that film is but it's also a totally different story and the way that she does craft it i think sparse is is a strong word for it but i think she finds ways to capture images throughout the film and kind of offset 
things where, you know, things aren't framed necessarily the way that you would expect them. And, and so much of it feels, if anything, I think sparse, but also I think child, like from a child's point of view, like you have this view of the world where things just, there's a little bit, uh, you're, she's finding some of the magic in, in those small things. Like right at the beginning of the film, we see Ryan wrapping himself up in the, in the kind of that sheer curtain. And there was something kind of like magical and haunting about that, you know? And, and, and that's what I, I love about the way that Ramsey crafts her stories is that she's finding ways of looking at things that are just kind of from that, uh, from a different perspective. And it very much felt like, you know, we're looking at it through kind of James and the kids perspective of this neighborhood. And so I, I really enjoyed seeing um, what she does here in this early work of hers. Now, she wrote and directed Ratcatcher, and she wrote and directed You Were Never Really Here. She wrote, or she directed, we need to talk about Kevin, and wrote the screenplay with Rory Stewart, uh, Kinnear. Did did you, uh, did Morven Collar, did she write and direct Morven Collar? She, she, it was based on a book by okay. Alan Warner, and uh, then she co-wrote the script with Liana uh, Donini. Don, I'm not sure how you say the last yeah. name, but yeah, so... Um, Another well, I would say, collaborative uh, effort uh, on that one, though. You Were Never Real Here was also based on a book, but she did the adaptation uh, herself. Gotcha. Um, so I, I think it's interesting that just in terms of, of looking at the things that she connects to, the themes that she connects to, and the properties that she, she finds to either adapt or to work with other people to adapt. I think she's, I, I think she's incredible. I, I really, I, I, I find her stories really compelling. And I, I think I like We Need to Talk About Kevin more after these two. Uh, like I'm just seeing so many strong themes and strong intentional, you know, um, purposeful hands in the crafting of these stories. They're really good. They're really, really good. They really are. She's fantastic. And we should say we need to talk about Kevin was also adapted from a novel. Yeah, uh, she did, though. But it was not Rory who, or Kinnear who wrote it, it was uh, Lionel Shriver. Lionel Shriver. Lionel Shriver. Yeah. 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 So, okay. No, I, I, I am just absolutely fascinated with her work and want to see more of it. Um, and also she had Rachel Portman um, do the score, which was fantastic. Um, and it does have, um, there's a song in here. It's a, it's a Carl Orff piece that you also hear in True Romance. And at first I'm like, oh, it's that True, True Romance music. And then I'm like, oh, it's this xylophone piece that's mm -hmm. in uh, true romance but i just i love that piece of music it, it it feels very magical lilting and again going back to that sense of kind of that child's perspective there's something kind of um child like with that kind of xylophone music i i don't know i you say carl orff and the only thing i think of is carmina barana uh and i didn't hear carmina barana in this i'm like did carl orff write anything but carmina barana he did it turns out <laughs> He did. he did it's uh i you know i had it i can't remember what it's called the 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 name is um so german wir stücke für zelefon gassenhauer nacht hans nussiedler gassenhauer nacht hans lusinger i'm gonna translate this hold on okay Oh, it's got some real real time language research. Um, translating from German, four pieces. It's called Four Pieces for Xyla, Xylophone. Oh. Gassenhauer after Hans Neusiedler for soprano, alto, xylophone, castanet, snare drum, tambourine, and timpani. Hey, from Music for Children Three. 
number 15, 1952. That's a lot. That's a <laughs> that's a poppy title. The heck of a lot. Is, yeah. Was that was that Justin Bieber who did that? I think he did that. <laughs> Super poppy. Well, we will be right back. But first, our credits. The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Dylan Drake, Oriel Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at d-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. How did it do at award season, Andy? Uh, it, you know, it did well for itself. 12 wins, six other nominations. At the BAFTAs, Lynn Ramsey won the Carl Foreman Award for the Most Promising Newcomer. Um, and I looked at that. I'm like, Carl Foreman? Who's Carl Foreman again? Carl Foreman was an American screenwriter and film producer who wrote um, films like The Bridge on the River Kwai and High Noon. Uh, he was a blacklisted screenwriter from the 50s and ended up moving to uh, moving to England and became quite prominent over there working with a lot of uh, big Brits. And that's why um, it's a British award, because Carl Foreman became quite um, involved in in the UK. Um, and as somebody who was blacklisted, obviously had a lot of um, important things to say in his work that came out. Of, of the UK at the time. <laughs> so she won that, and the film also was nominated for the Alexander Corda Award for Best British Film, but lost to the film East is East. Just now, since I did that for Carl Foreman, I'll do that for Alexander Corda as well. He was a Hungarian-British film director, producer, and screenwriter. Starting in about 1930, he was very active in the British film industry and became one of its prominent figures. So Alexander Corda. So that's the BAFTAs. At Khan. The film was nominated for Uncertain Regard, or I shouldn't say nominated. I guess it's in the, it's put into the kind of category, the screening category of Uncertain Regard. And that is for films that they, they pick 20 films that feature an unusual style and non-traditional stories that are seeking international recognition. Um, and I guess the, the winning film actually gets a grant that they can use then toward distribution. Um, Beautiful People ended up taking that award, uh, not this film. But still, nice to be included there. And then this was one that I hadn't heard of before, the Riga International Film Forum, which um, is from this organization called Fipreski. And Fipreski is the International Federation of Film Critics. Um, and I guess this is a, it's a, an association of national organizations of professional film critics and journalists from around the world for, quote, the promotion and development of film culture and for the safeguarding of professional interests. It's been around, uh, came out of Brussels, Belgium. Um, and at 50 countries uh, make this organization up. So it's anyway, the big international critics group, basically. And it won the Fipreski Prize and uh, for Lynn Ramsey. And it said, for a fresh and truthful debut showing how a young boy's soul matures in a harsh world. Huh. I think more awards need to give a little kind of quote like that. Yeah. I like that when, they, when we have those. I do, too. And we should go to Riga. <laughs> Right? On our way. On our way to Riga. Hello, Latvia.
Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Medieval old town. That's where I went while you were reading that little quote is, what's going on in Riga? Don't know enough about it. I don't either. That is uh, interesting. I, I wonder if it, it's, it, since it started in Belgium and, it, you know, fi- it's it made up of more than 50 countries. I wonder if this thing travels. Like, I wonder if they have it in a different place every year. Yeah, maybe. The, the, the population of Riga is 632,000 people. It's a, it's like a substantial city. I wonder if they, I wonder if they'll rank on our tour, world tour of the largest movie screens. Hmm. Interesting. Do you think Riga has a big IMAX? Uh, Right. (laughs) You know, it's interesting about Fipreski, this International Federation of Film Critics. Paul Thomas Anderson is the only director to have won the award three times. What did he win for? Magnolia, There Will Be Blood, and Phantom Thread. Yeah, I can see all of that. Yeah. All right. How did it do at the box office, Andy? Ramsey's movie cost next to nothing. This was a very independent film. Only $30,000 or $46,200 in today's dollars. The movie premiered at Cannes May 13th, 1999, then played at a number of other film festivals before having its UK release November 12th, 1999, and its US release October 13th, 2000. Opposite Lost Souls, The Ladies' Man, The Contender, Dr. T and the Women, and Billy Elliot. What's interesting that I did find is that when it was released in the US, it actually was subtitled because of the challenge (laughs) of understanding their accents. Um, this movie unfortunately barely made a dent at the box office, um, earning 217,000 domestically and 671.6 thousand internationally for a total of almost 1.4 million in today's dollars. Still, the budget was so small, it does land with an adjusted profit per finished minute of 14,000, and it does mean that the investors earned back nearly 30% of their investments. Well, good for them. Or I shouldn't say that, earned 30 times their investments. Even better for them. That's a lot. 30 grand. Andy, what are we doing? I don't know. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go make a movie about 1973. 1973 uh, Phoenix? Colorado. You should do Phoenix, though. What was going on in 1973 in Phoenix? Probably exactly the same as it is right now. People it's, vacuuming yeah, their front probably. yard. And, yeah. This is that's good. It's be a good movie. I'll check it out. Uh, I am so glad we watched this movie. I, I really enjoyed it and uh, loved it to have it in the catalog. And like you, now I just have Morvan Collar to check out. Uh, where where'd you watch it? Is it is it streaming? I bought it. You bought it. Okay. You don't have to buy it if you're an Amazon subscriber to get. Uh, you were never really here. It's uh, Amazon Studios picked it up, so you can watch it right now if you have Amazon Prime. So there you go. Excellent. That one will be easy to check out. That I'm looking forward to it. And then, Lynn, I mean, come on, get something else uh, in the pipeline. We want to watch more from you. Yeah. Does she have anything? Like, if I look at her on IMDb, she did a short film called Brigitte in 2019 about a photographer. But, like, there's nothing. Uh, she has nothing that she's actively, well, that's actively been yeah. reported on. Right. Well, you know, pandemic was hard for a lot of people, so maybe things just slowed down and she took a break. That's possible. Yeah, maybe. So that's possible. It is possible. All right. Well, we want more, and I'm definitely looking forward to to seeing what she comes up with. 
soon. Oh, she's producing a movie, executive producer for a film called I Feel Fine that has been announced, directed by Amber Trentham. Um, set in 1980s Glasgow, teenager Johnny White becomes embroiled in crime and drug addiction. When a bounty is placed on his head for a crime he didn't commit, he must get to the safe haven of rehab in order to stay alive. Huh. Dominic West, Gary Lewis, and Billy Boyd. Oh, I like all those people. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, you know, she's she's helping other people get their stuff going. So, you know, I, I'm okay with that. All right. Well, we will be right back for our ratings. But first, here's the trailer for next week's movie, Sofia Coppola's The Virgin Suicides. here is a dreamer, someone completely out of touch with reality. Last Bad chance. Lux, please put your shit on this instant. Are you uh, an aviation enthusiast? I don't know if I'd call myself an enthusiast, but... Uh... <laughs> Do you like to wrestle? <laughs> laughing. He made her laugh. My intentions for your daughter are entirely honorable. What might those intentions be? So much has been said about the girls over the years. Those girls have a bright future ahead of them. But we have never found an answer. Her act was a cry for help. I heard it was an accident. Even then, as teenagers, we tried to put the pieces together. We still can't. We got a full tank of gas. We'll take you anywhere you want to go. About time. We've been waiting for you guys. You're not even old enough to know how bad life gets. Obviously, Doctor. You've never been a 13-year-old girl. Four sisters put their own lives in jeopardy. They'll all be gone by next year. never be sure about the sequence of events we argue about it still sophia coppola yeah you're i i know you're a big sophia coppola head aren't you <laughs> i'm a, i am i'm a cope head you're a, <laughs> she's copalicious <laughs> and maybe it's just copacetic 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 uh, <laughs> Copalacetic. Oh, that All is right. fantastic. I, I'm <laughs> honestly nervous to talk about that with you next week because I know, you know, I'm being cheeky. My recollection is that she's one of your least favorite. It's true. Filmmakers. That's your memory is right. <laughs> okay, it's going to be fun. Letterbox, Dandy. How did you end up doing uh, Ratcatcher on your uh, your old Letterboxed? Even after this conversation, I'm still struggling with where I'm settling in on this one. I feel like I'm at four stars and a heart i think yeah i've been fluctuating between three and a half to four and a half 
And so I, I think it just makes sense to stick with four and a heart and say, that's where I sit. Why four? Like, where do the stars fall? And, and you, I know you hate that question, but I'm really curious. Well, especially coming from you, who doesn't even believe in half stars. No, I don't. I so certain things I be don't proud believe of in. Me, yeah. But I said four. I am really proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Well, I'm not a hundred percent. It's it's a it's a more challenging is not the right word, but it's it's a film I feel less interested in coming back to to kind of look at as a film as quickly as like we need to talk about Kevin, which is a very difficult film, difficult story. But the craftsmanship in that film was just so um, just off the walls awesome that like I instantly wanted to just watch it again because I was just like, this is a true craftsman at work here. This film, I feel that there are signs of that there. I didn't I wasn't as drawn to it as much, I guess. It just like I, I didn't completely click with this one as much as I did um, the other the other film. So I, I feel like four stars. I feel OK with that. Uh, but part of me also says three and a half, like it's, it's a, it's a good story. I didn't love it, but I, I was really drawn to the characters and kind of the, uh, I still really like the, like the film, you know? Wow. So that's why I'm kind of, I'm torn between my ratings here, but I think four is a good, a good average. I feel okay with. Okay. Do you want to, do you want to try and call your shot for mine? Do you want to, what do you think? You think I'm a four? Uh, I'm about to disappoint you, Andy. I, uh, I would have been a four when I finished watching the movie and then I slept on it and I woke up and I found myself really absorbed by these kids and these performances. And I looked at it last, like uh, when I finished it, the, the, my thought was, my God, that kid was such an innocent performer. Like I just didn't get anything from him. Like it was just a tabula rasa and what am i what am i getting from this performance like i really don't know what he's thinking and i woke up this morning and i was thinking wow that was really great like i have a a whole new picture of what this movie is about as a result of his restraint uh as a performer and i am a five star and a heart on this movie believe that fantastic i i believe it and i love it yeah i think that's awesome yeah no i'm i'm really uh i'm I am a Lynn Ramsey uh, bull, is what they you'd call that. I'm bullish on the Rams. <laughs> she said, I'm, I am Andy. I'm a real Rams head. What? Yeah, I was going to say, you're a Rams head. I am a Rams head. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, big fan. Oh, big fan. That's awesome. All right. Well, uh, so that puts it over in our letterbox page, an average of four and a half uh, stars with a great big heart of love. Uh, and I, I mean, again, Lynn Ramsey, more people need to watch her films, more people um, need to give her money to make more films. <laughs> Lynn Ramsey just needs to be making films all the time because uh, she's easily uh, just from these three films, like such a fascinating storyteller and somebody that I want to see more of. So I'm looking forward to seeing um, you were never really here. And, you know, fingers crossed for whenever that next one comes out. Can't wait. And I just realized, surprising no one, Andy, I have not posted a review for you never really here. <laughs> it was a while ago when I was in the dark days of Letterboxd. So I'm going to use this opportunity to write the review and post it alongside my rat catcher review. There you go. Well, look at that. I know. That. I, I noticed You've inspired that you me. hadn't. You, you said that you watched it. I was just like, you well, he probably just watched it yesterday. 
and nobody would know because uh, you know he's. I was too busy watching Marvel movies yesterday. How could I possibly watch this? <laughs> so, what did you think about Ratcatcher? We want to know. Join us over in our Discord community and then hop into the Show Talk channel. We're going to be talking about this movie this week. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterboxd giveth, Andrew. As Letterboxd always doeth. Um, okay. I know you've got two. You've come, your cup runneth over. So I'm going to do mine first because as God is my witness and the microphone is hot, I shall do a bad accent. Oh, dear. Here we go. This comes from my favorite uh, best friend who hasn't met me yet, Lucy, who gives it a three and a half star and a heart and says... Lynn Ramsey could bunk me on the head with a film camera and say, Oi, look out, I'm filming here, innit? And I would reply, My apologies. Please feel free to bunk me again if that helps you in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> he good. writes it. That is good. In the accent. And so I have to, I have to do the accent. Well, speaking of accents, uh, my first one is by Adrian, who says, just when I thought five seasons of Game of Thrones prepared me for the Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Adrian. And I will end with Taylor Williams, four-star review, uh, who says this, I hate calling movies lyrical, but damn. <laughs> right. I, did you see Bratz? Brat Brat writes Rat Cinema is greater than greater than greater than greater than every other type of cinema animal cinema. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I I don't know. That would be a great list for the set mat. I I can't think of other like that I would call rat cinema. What's the one with the giant rats living in like who you know where they put the dogs in the costumes and had them running around? You're not talking about R-O-U-S's. No, no, no. Or Rats, the movie. Or Gnaw. Oh, the <laughs> <laughs> food, oh. food of the gods, too. <laughs> right, right. There's also um, the Stephen King one with uh, the rats in the, the place where the people come to kill all the rats. What is that one mm. called? Well, there was, it, there was Ben. Was Ben one that... Graveyard Shift. You're particularly... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like the tagline for rodents. It's R-O-D-E-N-T-Z, rodents. And uh, the tagline is, hide the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Deadly Eyes is the one where they dressed up dogs oh, in rat okay. clothing. All right. yeah, little rat outfits. Dachshunds. <laughs> oh, my God. That's fantastic. I'm sure if you saw Cruella, you probably would get an idea of that because they dress up that little dog as a rat. It's kind of funny. That's too funny. Do you know Peter Weller was in a rats movie? Of unknown origin, the terrifying last word in Home Invasion from the director of Tombstone and Cobra. That's awesome. Huh. All right. We're going to have a whole rat cinema list that we're going to be doing. A whole series <laughs> of rat movies. Uh, I can't wait. wait. This is going to be one of our franchises. Isn't there a rats franchise we can do? Night of Terror. There has to be. Noche de Terror. Mm. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks, Letterboxd. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, 
we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Today.